Welcome to the Purpose and Principles Podcast. I'm Max Brown, and today I have something really special. I'm, I'm so grateful to have a good friend of mine, Rob Morris, the president and co-founder of Love 146, as my guest today on the show. And Rob, I am so grateful that you could join me on this show. Your message and your work is so important, and um, I, wa- I want to share it with other people as well. So thank you for taking the time today. Man, thank you for having me, Max. I've looked forward to this. Well, you know, it's been too long, brother. I mean, you know, we, we, we've connected many, many years ago, and yeah. I'm, re- I'm so grateful to reconnect today. Yeah, me too. Still in it, man. You are. And I, you've been doing this now for 18 years. Can you just walk us through what Love 146 is? What's your mm-hmm. purpose? How did you get involved in this work? And you're still doing it. Sure. Yeah. So Love 146, in a nutshell, we are working to end the trafficking and exploitation of children. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, yeah, just an absolutely horrific injustice happening in in the world today. And we're doing that through two uh, main avenues. One is survivor care. We care for kids who have been exploited and trafficked. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, we also work in prevention, um, trying to stop it from happening. And so um, our goal, our vision is the end of child trafficking and exploitation, nothing less. And We've been accused at times of maybe being a bit idealistic or Mm -hmm. naive with such a bold vision, Um, but I prefer to not think of it as naive or idealistic. I look at it as audacious, and um, Mm -hmm. I guess at the end of the day, it's only people of audacity that ever change the world, so uh, we we would put ourselves into that, into that category. Yeah. Oh, and, and I, I know this has been a life journey for you really, but how did it all begin? Why did, how did this become your, your calling, if you will? Yeah. So we, so, I mean, my wife and I have always had a heart specifically for vulnerable children. Mm-hmm. And, um, about a little over 18 years ago, um, myself and a couple of friends and, and including my wife, we started hearing about this thing called human trafficking specifically, um, child trafficking. Mm -hmm. And back then, the the terminology of human trafficking was relatively new. It was um, nobody had really been using that uh, terminology until about the year 2000. Mm -hmm. So this is around 2002. And we started hearing about this and thought, this is this is crazy that this is happening today, that people are still being sold um, as commodities for horrific reasons. I mean, any reason for a human being to be commodified is, is horrific. But um, the idea that this was happening to children, the most vulnerable amongst us, was just shattering. And so we started educating ourselves, learning you know, as, as much as we could about this. At the time, I was actually um, uh, uh, in a band and I had a friend of mine who was also in another band. We had an artist friend of ours. And so we didn't have any specific skills in dealing Mm -hmm. with human rights abuses like this or anything. We Mm -hmm. just cared about kids and, and in educating ourselves about it, we thought, you know, maybe there's something that we can do about it, you know, having some public platforms or whatever, maybe we could raise awareness about it, maybe raise funds for organizations working in this. 
and through our, our education and through understanding and learning about it, we discovered there was, there was an organization at the time that was made up of criminal investigators um, that they basically go in to places where children or people are being trafficked and exploited. They go in specifically when it's dealing with children. They'll go in undercover into places like brothels where children are being sold for sex. Mm-hmm. Um, and they pose as customers. They have undercover surveillance equipment on. They're, they're gathering evidence. And when they have enough evidence gathered, they then have to do um, – a separate investigation of local law enforcement to weed out those that might be corrupt or getting paid by traffickers or, you know, brothel managers to look the other way or even for protection. It's a, it's a pretty complex process. And I just oversimplified it to, for the mm-hmm. sake of brevity, but, um, yeah, it was, it's a, that was, that's a pretty intense job. And so we connected with this organization, finding out more about it. And they said, Hey, listen, if you're going to talk about this and you're going to do something about it, you really should understand it, educate yourself more on it. And, and they invited us to actually see firsthand one of their operating centers in Southeast Asian country, Mm -hmm. um, to see firsthand what was happening. And so we went and um, we found ourselves um, in a particular city in Southeast Asia. And in this one particular day, uh, the investigators were in the middle of an investigation and they were heading in that night into one of these um, brothels where children were being exploited. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said, do you want to come in with us? And um, we were like, yeah, you know, I think so. Uh, you know, it's such a strange question. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um and I remember that night, I'll never forget that night, um, you know, they gave us these brief instructions on how to pose as a customer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, and, and again, they had undercover surveillance equipment on. And, and Max, I remember, you know, here I am trying to pretend to be the very thing that everything in me is completely and utterly repulsed by. Right. You know, and, um, you know, I remember the last thing one of these investigators said before we went in, they said, look, if you don't think you can do this, if you don't think you can hold it together, Mm -hmm. do not come in with us. Because if you freak out with what you're about to see Mm -hmm. or break character, you can destroy this investigation that's been taking some time to come to completion. Mm -hmm. And we were like, oh yeah, you know, no, no worries until we, found ourselves in this place and I'm standing in a room looking through these glass windows at these girls sitting in rows of chairs, um, wearing matching red dresses, having even the dignity of a name stripped from them. They just had numbers pinned to their dresses and I'm standing on the other side of the glass, shoulder to shoulder with what could only be described as predators who were purchasing these kids for sex. Mm -hmm. And I remember those words of that investigator going through my head in that moment, you know, if you don't think you can hold it together, because everything in me as a man, you know, as a father, Mm -hmm. as a human being was not holding it together. Everything in me was trying to figure out, man, can we just smash through this glass right now and get as many of these kids out of here as we can, you know, uh, you know, or how many of these guys in this room can we take out right now? All these thoughts that were going through my head and we had to refrain from doing anything in that moment so Mm -hmm. that this investigation could come to completion so that there would be an actual prosecution and these places would be shut down. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think the thing that so took my breath away was the looks in the eyes of these kids. Yeah. You know, having seven kids of my own, one of the few things I've learned about children through the years is that if there should be anybody on the planet that has a light on in their eyes, 
that has that sparkle in their eyes should be a kid. Mm-hmm. And what I was seeing through that glass was not that. These kids were they were had these blank robotic stares, you know, from being so traumatized. They were watching children's cartoons on these crackling little television sets, literally waiting to be purchased and abused. And they all had those blank stares except for one girl and my guess was that she was probably new to the brothel because that um, light had not been taken from her yet she was the only one not looking at the children's cartoon she was staring at us through the glass and I don't know if it was a look of fight in her eyes or it was trauma or whatever but I will never forget those eyes and never forget that face that stare never forget her number you know her number was 146 and so when we started the organization, you know, we had actually started it under a different name and we had changed the name after a couple of years, partly to remember that this is not about an issue or a cause. It's about a real human being, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so it's it's I think so oftentimes we we can dehumanize people by putting them putting them under these categories of people right you know we talk about the homeless you know the poor the Mm -hmm. refugees we put the word the in front of categories of people and we forget that you know what this is a human being that we're talking about here this is somebody's daughter this is somebody's son this is somebody's brother or sister or mother or father and so even naming the organization is is to remember her but not just to remember her, but to cause us to remember daily that this is not an issue or a cause that we're fighting for. It's for real human beings. Mm -hmm. And so we left there that night, you know, we weren't able to do anything that night because the investigation wasn't finished yet. You know, sometime later they finally did finish the investigation. There was a, a raid on this place by law enforcement, but somebody in law enforcement that was crooked and corrupt had been tipped off. Had, you know, had been tipped off to the raid about to take place, and tipped off the brothel manager. And the kids had already been um, taken, and they were gone. So we mm-hmm. still, to this day, don't know whatever happened to her or the kids that were in there that night. And it's the thing that haunts us um, even to this day. So, so we left there. Now we have a mandate, right? A human mandate, and we can't pretend we didn't just see what we just saw mm-hmm. we, we've got to somehow engage and so through educating ourselves and trying to understand what was needed we tried to figure out how could we be helpful and we found that there were some gaps you know there were great organizations that were doing the investigations there were great organizations doing some of the prosecutions and all of that but we would hear from some of those investigators saying hey we know where there's kids right now that can be taken out of these situations but there aren't enough places for them to actually go to shelters or safe homes where they can actually begin the long process of recovery. And, and so I just thought that was crazy that a kid's going to spend another night in a situation like this because there aren't enough legitimate, incredible places for them to have a chance at recovery. That's Mm -hmm. crazy to me, you know? And so we started our survivor care um, programs and and after doing survivor care for some time, we realized we're not going to end this by just treating the victims of this horrific thing. We've got to do something to prevent it. And so that's when we started doing our prevention work. So long story short, in the last 18 years, um, through both survivor care and prevention work, uh, we're now working on four different continents and we've reached a little over 57,000 kids. So, um, yeah, it's been a long, it's been a long journey. Um, it's been a heart wrenching, uh, journey and, um, and we're still in it. We continue to, to, to move forward because children are worth it. Man, Rob, as I, as I listen to your story, 
it, um, I know you've been talking about it now for almost two decades. And so for listeners who that's their first time hearing this story, they're probably thinking, holy cow, how can he do that without just, you know, falling apart? And, and I've heard your story. I heard it, you know, over 10 years ago, I heard it, you know, we, we've had these conversations now a number of different ways, a number of different times. And, and yet it's still really hard to hear. And, uh, you and I both have, you know, these big families that we came from big families or we have big families. We, we've adopted kids, you've adopted kids to, to, to reduce suffering wherever possible to be able to bring people into our homes to share that love. And yet you just said 56,000 kids. And that's not just a statistic. Those are each individual lives. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Individual lives. I mean, it's, it's what we, I call it the mother Teresa principle, you know, mother Teresa, when she was alive, she said, if I didn't pick up the one off the streets of Calcutta, I never would have picked up the 40,000. And so thinking about, thinking about perspective all the time, the individual human being and not just putting people under these categories and, and just looking at issues and causes, but real real human beings. You know, I just saw a thing this morning on this, you know, the COVID-19 situation that we're in right Mm -hmm. now. And there was Mm -hmm. a thing this morning that said, you know, hey, you know, these numbers that you're seeing, the thousands of people that have died so far, these are human beings. Mm -hmm. It's not just statistics to be debated about. These are real human beings that Mm -hmm. had lives, that had families, that had jobs, that Mm -hmm. had hopes and dreams and and all of that. And so I, I think we just have to be intentional all the time to... Yeah, to not dehumanize the human beings that are represented by these things that we call issues and causes. Boy, I love that. Um, I love that quote, to remember the human beings in these causes and these, and these statistics. So how do you do this? How do you get, you know, in, in healthcare, we talk about compassion fatigue a lot. Mm-hmm. because yeah. the health the healthcare givers who give so much and they come home exhausted and of course you know they're on the front That's lines right. of this battle with covid-19 and 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 but but you know ongoing there's a lot of struggles what do you do to keep yourself going how do you find hope how do you reconnect mm-hmm. and keep going in this effort that seems almost like a tidal wave yeah, that's a that's the million dollar question right there, man. I mean, I have my good days and my bad days, to mm-hmm. be honest. Um, I, I've, you know, I had somebody some time ago um, said, "Wow, you must have really thick skin to have your head buried in some of the darkest stories imaginable, day in and day out." And my head is buried in those stories every single day. Mm-hmm. And I thought about it for a minute and I'm like, actually, no, I'm not thick skinned at all. I'm, I, I actually think I'm very thin skinned mm. um, and my skin has gotten thinner through the years. And to be honest with you, I actually prefer that. Mm-hmm. I, I um, you know, I think um, I, I think it was Henry Nowen who said that compassion is being fully immersed in the condition of being human. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I should feel the pain of my neighbor. Mm-hmm. It's what causes me to engage. It, it's what causes me to actually do something about it. If, and, and I get that there are sometimes, man, we're in these places where, you know what, I've got enough heartbreak of my own. I've got enough pain of my own. I don't want to hear the news every day. I don't want, and I think that there's a balance. Right? I think there are times that I have to shut the news off because mm-hmm. it's just getting too much, you know, or, or whatever, but I never want to be the person that then 
permanently sticks my head in the sand and says, I just don't want to know anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think it's there was a a civil rights leader from way back, W.E.B. Du Bois, who said um, there is but one coward on Earth, and that is the coward who dare not know. You know, Mm -hmm. so I think it takes a it takes some courage to say, I actually want to know. But then taking it beyond that and saying, I actually want to do something about it. So I think I'm very purposely a thin skinned person Mm -hmm. when it comes to um, immersing myself into the condition of being human, making sure that I don't build enough of a wall that I'm no longer affected by the pain of other human beings, but also being smart about um, surrounding myself with good people who can see the signs of burnout or um, recognize that I I might be, um, I, I might need a break or catch my breath or pull my head out of the water. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm careful when it comes to self care and, and, taking care of myself. And I have people in my life who are, when I'm no, no longer recognizing that I'm not taking care of myself, that can call me out on that. And, and the hope thing, Max, I think is huge. And especially now, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I had somebody a couple of years ago and this was a couple of years ago. Now I, I see it even more where they just sort of did the throwing up their hands and they said, man, you know, to be hopeful anymore, um, is foolishness. Mm-hmm. And, I was like, first of all, you said that to the wrong person. Mm. Secondly, I, I disagree. I think actually to be hopeful now is an act of defiance. Mm-hmm. And, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, the word defiant is sort of a word that carries a lot of negative connotations with it. Mm. You know what I mean? I, if I had a dollar for every time I heard the word defiant connected to me while I was growing up from teachers or parents or whatever saying, man, you're so defiant, you're such a defiant young man or whatever, man, I, I would be able to fund the work of Love 146 for decades because <laughs> I heard I heard that word a lot, but it was always used in this negative sense. Well, let me tell you something. The word that defiance is paying off in spades now in my life as I've connected it to hope. Mm-hmm. Because I think I had somebody say, Rob, you're the most optimistic person that I know. And I'm thinking, you don't know me very well because I am not an optimist by any shape or, or form at all. I'm mm-hmm. not a pessimist either, but I'm definitely not an optimist. And, mm-hmm. and I, I look at optimism as different than being hopeful in mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. optimism attempt tends, not all the time, but sometimes um, optimism tends to live in a place of denial, Hmm. you know, Hmm. where denial of the harsh circumstances or the times that we're living in, right? So it's sort of that mentality of like, hey, you know, everything's going to work out okay. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. Um, I'm not that person. Um, I think hope and especially defiant hope um, is a little different in that I think it completely recognizes the harshness of the circumstances or the reality of an injustice or the times that we're living in, but insists that it can possibly change yeah. and possibly by my action. So it's so it's an aggressive thing. It's 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 not passive. Where optimism tends to be passive, where hey, I hope everything turns out okay. I think hope is actually like I insist that it's going to change and my action is going to be part of that change. So defiant hope is something that we practice at Love 146. And, you know, the crazy beautiful thing of this is that we're learning it from children that we serve. Yeah. Because for kids, so many of our kids in our care, Mm -hmm. when they wake up in the morning and they choose to live another day, 
it is an act of defiant hope. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, man, when I have these little examples of defiant hope all around around me, how can I not participate in that same kind of thing? A hope that in that pushes against the dark, a hope that doesn't give in to cynicism and despair, but insists that there can be a different way of life. And, um, I want to be a part of creating that. Um, yeah, so that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at on that. <laughs> I mean, Rob, as you as you share that, I'm taking notes and and nodding my head and I'm listening and I'm remembering things. I remember when I was 17, I felt overwhelmed. My mom and dad had, you know, fostered almost 100 kids at that point in in 20 years and I I was there for all of those kids coming through our home and in and out of our house. Lots of stressful situations as you well know and but yeah. but beautiful beautiful things too and good things and I looked at my mom one day exasperated and I didn't remember this quote she shared it with me years later but she said that day when I was exasperated I said mom you can't change the whole world but don't quit trying but don't quit trying Uh, I love that (laughs) I love the don't quit trying right and that's I mean that's linked to perseverance yeah right I mean it's the it's the not giving up peace. It's the, um, what is it? I I think it's Anne Lamott. Anne Lamott, who says, hope begins in the dark. The stubborn hope that if you just show up and try to do the right thing, the dawn will come. You wait, you watch, and you work, and you don't give up. You know, and and the perseverance thing, I mean, it's so interesting to me. You know, I I had, years ago, I I remember um, one particular situation where we had, um, we had a, a girl who had been in our care for some time. She came, she came into our care. She, she did extraordinarily well, went through our programs and, and, um, ended up being reintegrated back into community, um, and was just doing really well. And then I got news this one particular day, um, that she was back in a very vulnerable situation at risk of being trafficked and exploited again. And it was just like, gutting right we're like no you know and that feeling of like two steps forward and three steps back and you know and and um you know her her story she had shared her story publicly and everything and now it's like what do we do now right and Mm -hmm. and to be honest as a charity there is this unspoken pressure that we carry right to feel like we have to tell only the good stories mm-hmm. right because that's what people will fund that's what people will support we have to tell the stories that have the fairy tale endings mm-hmm. we have to tell the stories of just victories triumphs and successes and and you know you carry this pressure and the reality is is not every story looks like that mm-hmm. and, and what's so crazy is is not every story in our own lives look like that. Forget about just the kids that we work with or the or the the things that we deal with when it comes to charity work. But none of us can say that, hey, every story in my life or or my whole narrative life narrative has happy endings and fairy tale endings and successes and try now sometimes so, there's a lot of stories of defeat and and hard stuff. You know? And and you're saying then that not every um part of our life looks like a good Facebook post of all of our friends? <laughs> no, definitely not, does it? I mean, and that's and that's it. We would love for it to look like that, right? We'd love to live the Instagram life and, yeah. and where it's like, oh, this is this is reality. In fact, I remember that particular morning when we got this news and I was really I was really struggling, you know, and and um 
you know, one of my one of my uh, colleagues, who's also a very good friend, she had just lost um, a family member to horrific circumstances, mm. and she was in this place of deep grief herself, right? And so we're sitting there and we're lamenting together, right? Mm-hmm. Of just life is just not fair, and this just is horrible, and all of all of those thoughts that go through your head, right? And I'm and I'm talking about this situation with this with this girl, and I'm like, I don't know what to do, and you know, it, and she and and this colleague of mine who, in the place of her own grief, she looks at me and she said, Rob, maybe our story as Love One Forty Six isn't just about victories, triumphs, and successes or fairy tale endings. Maybe our story is the story of never giving up. Mm-hmm. Maybe our story is the story of perseverance. And Max, it was like somebody hit me with a two by four of truth, right? I'm mm-hmm. just like, that's it. That is it. Because, you know, here's the reality. As much as I would love to be able to stand in front of that five-year-old in our care, in our safe home in the Philippines and promise her that, hey, from now on, everything is going to be okay. Mm-hmm. I can't do that with any kind of integrity because I don't know that, mm-hmm. right? But I can with all integrity saying that, man, as long as you want us on this journey with you, we'll continue on this, on this journey. If you, as long as you want us in this mess with you, we're going to be in this mess with you, supporting you in whatever ways that we can possibly, I can, I can promise the perseverance piece. And, you know, it's actually really funny. It was only about a year and a half ago, maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe a little more than that. I actually, for the first time, and maybe I'm late to the game on this and I'll admit that if I am, I saw that for the first time the word severe in the word perseverance. Hmm. And I'm like, how did I how did I miss that? How did I never see that before? Because perseverance only makes sense in the context of the severe. Mm-hmm. Right? It makes you never hear anybody that's everything's going great, right? And and they're doing well and and all of that say, "Hey, I'm really persevering." Right? Mm-hmm. It's only people mm-hmm. that are in the mess and the madness that are in the severity of the circumstances that can say, "I'm there's a grit that's being established in me in this process. There's a grit that's, that's coming to the surface here. And, and that's the reality with the kids that we work with. Again, I'm learning so much from children, right? The, the hope thing, the defiant hope thing, the perseverance piece I'm learning from kids. These are kids that are not helpless and, and, and curled up in a little ball someplace. These mm-hmm. are kids that are aggressively taking their childhoods back. They're aggressively taking their, their lives back. And we just get to be witnesses of that. Yeah. Right after I was introduced to this work that you shared with me, you know, a number of years ago, over a decade ago, I was traveling in India and I have a friend there who's also very concerned about this type of work and they have a shelter, a small place. It's a small compound, but not unlike what you describe in the Philippines with you guys and helping to give these girls new ways of living and and getting them away from the trade. And so I went to one of these compounds that's also, you know, has security guards and it's locked and it's kind of a secret location as best as they can on six acres with gardens and, you know, rehab centers and, and places for them to meditate and pray places to sing and to learn crafts and arts and to do their gardening. And I was, I was so grateful to be able to go in and to be able to just serve lunch to everyone and they sang songs to us. And then they asked me if I wanted to speak to everyone. I said, I don't know what to say. Right. I mean, Rob, I didn't know what to say. Right. And, and I, 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 I wanted to have integrity, like you're saying, you know, like everything's going to be okay. What I just told them, they said, I just love you. I love you so much that, that, you could, that you can smile, that you would share your smile with me today. Thank you for sharing your mm-hmm. smile with me today. 
you have yeah. made me a better human being today. Yeah. Yep. I love that. You know what I, I mean? That. And that's, and that's a staggering, that's a staggering thing, right? I mean, I, I, I remember, uh, some years ago I was, I was visiting, um, one of our safe homes and in the Philippines and, and, um, at the end of, at the end of the day, there was one of the staff members there, uh, started doing the whole DJ thing, right? She, she put on this music and the kids just immediately kicked, kicked into, uh, dancing and stuff. And mm-hmm. I still remember one of the songs, therefore the first song that they hit on this thing was this song, watch me whip, watch me nay, nay, right? Wow. Popular song here, you know, in the West. And these kids just jumped on the dance floor and they're just going for it. And I, and I sat, I was sitting in my chair and I was watching what was happening. And it's the same thing. I was like, man, how, how have these kids come to a place where they're like, they're just dancing. In fact, I, I remember, in fact, I had somebody with me um, once at, at, at the same safe home who we spent a day, you know, hanging out with the kids, playing with the kids and everything. And she, at the end of the day, she looks at me and she goes, Rob, I'm so confused. You know, these kids laughing and singing and dancing. She goes, they're just like real children. Hmm. And, I, and I laughed and I'm like, well, hmm. it's because they are real children. Yeah. And I'm, I don't know why we would think any any differently. But I remember this particular night when these kids were dancing to this Watch Me Whip, Watch Me Nanny. I was sitting in this chair and I was just dumbfounded by the whole scene and just so deeply moved mm-hmm. by this reality of beauty being created from ashes, right? Mm-hmm. This, this, this reality of um, uh, joy in the midst of something that you'd think would just be um, – lacking joy and and i'm sitting there watching this and i remember there was this uh, this young girl i think she was about five um she was uh, uh, dancing up a storm across the dance floor and she sees me sitting in my chair and she looks at me and she stops dancing for a minute she's just staring at me and she has this look on her face looking at me sitting in my chair as if like hey this is not gonna. This is not gonna work. You sitting in a chair, and mm-hmm. if she makes this beeline across the dance floor with the music thumping, and she grabs me by the hands and she pulls me out onto the dance mm-hmm. floor, and man, I don't, I don't know how to whip or nay nay, but man, I danced with this kid and these kids, and it was like one of those moments of just clarity of man recovery is possible because that was my big question mark in the very beginning of the work that we're doing right mm-hmm. is, is recovery even possible with for kids that have experienced this kind of horrific abuse mm-hmm. over and over and over again for so long can recovery take place and it and it's and it's not to minimize the journey because recovery is a lifelong journey mm-hmm. it's not like a quick fix no. situation at all and um yeah it's possible. I see it happen. And it's just, uh, it's an amazing thing. It really is. Rob, what would you say to people who are listening to, and, and have stayed with us and, and said, man, this is so heavy and, and they're struggling in their own lives to persevere through something. And as you said, you know, the severe part of it sometimes is almost overwhelming. How, how do you step back and, and, and encourage, and what would you say for advice for those who feel stuck and don't know that perseverance is possible? Yeah, I don't know. I, I I don't think. Again, I wish I had more answers than I have questions. Mm. But the reality is, is I have more questions than I have mm. answers, and I and I recognize that the older I get, I'm, I'm I'm learning to live more with the questions than try to have them all answered. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think in the West we we have 
we have a fix it mentality, mm-hmm. right? We, we like to fix things that we think are broken, right? Like, Hey, let me just fix, let me just, you know, and so we're quick to give each other, um, I don't know, like it quick fix advice mm-hmm. or, and, mm-hmm. and I've just learned to move a bit more away from that and sort of learn more to live with mystery and even some of the pain of unanswered questions. And so I think for me personally, it's been super important for me to surround myself with like-minded people who are sort of in the mess too, right. Mm-hmm. That are not afraid of, the pain that are not afraid of getting their hands dirty or whatever and have honest relationships. I guess it's community, right? You Mm -hmm. can't life. Life is not meant to live by yourself. It's living in community or with people who um, you surround yourself with that are good people. That'll be honest with you. um, I think is really important in just keeping, keeping my head on straight and, and staying hopeful Um, and recognizing that, a story is never finished, right? Like the worst thing that ever happened to a person is not the end of the story, right? It's one piece of who they are. That's why we're really careful with the children that we work with to, to, for them to come to a place of recognizing this thing that happened to you doesn't have to define who you are. Mm -hmm. It's one thing that has happened to you or it's many things that have happened to you, but there's more to the story. The story is not finished. And so recognizing that the hard stuff that you're persevering through is not the end of the story. Um, yeah. It's a chapter. Maybe it's a few chapters. Maybe it's a lot of chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not the end of the story. And so, um, yeah, just just I think that's been I think that's been an important thing to be intentionally aware of for myself. Yeah, I I, I love that. In fact, I think about compassion really is to suffer with someone else. And as you said, mm-hmm. you can't you can't estrange yourself from that. If if you if you want to be able to be powerful or meaningful in this life. We must have compassion. And that's different than just empathy. You know, oh, that, you know, I kind of, I feel for that person. I understand where their pain's coming from because I've experienced that. But compassion is I'm going to do something about that pain. I'm going to go out and be a part of the solution. Yep. And keeping it, I mean, when you think of the big needs, when I think, I mean, I think it's the International Labor Organization, you know, the conservative estimate that they say as far as with human trafficking is there's 20 something million people that that are are being trafficked and about 5 million of those are children, right? Mm-hmm. That's massive. That's way too big for me to grasp yeah. and to say, I'm going to tackle this, right? And so, so keeping like what can, what small difference can I make? in the life of one person. Right. And so, and this is what I'm starting to see right now, even with this coronavirus and this COVID-19 and you're seeing, you know, you're seeing terrible things happening. And in the midst of it, you're seeing really amazing things happening too, right? You see, you see the worst of humanity and you see the best of humanity all in the same pot, right? Mm -hmm. And it's concentrating on what is the best of humanity doing? And you find neighbors serving neighbors, people opening their hearts and their lives to people that they never thought of before, you know, um, you know, appreciating people that maybe you didn't appreciate before, like appreciating the person that's, that's picking your groceries for you Mm because you're, you know, too afraid to go to the store or or can't go to the store or whatever, you know, it's like, Oh, I never thought about that person before. And now you're thinking about it. Now you're trying to figure out what can I do? I'm going to give this person a massive tip. Mm-hmm. You know, so you find people, you just, I think just keeping it simple. I've, I think as I've grown older, I'm, I'm 57 now. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think I've, I've 
been very purposeful in simplifying my life mm. <laughs> in that the things that I used to care about, I don't care as much about anymore. I'm sort of boiling things down to some basic things. And, and, um, you, you know, one of the questions that I ask, I ask myself two questions almost every night before I close my eyes to go to sleep. And there are these internal questions. Um, and you know, if you followed me on Twitter or Instagram, you've seen, you've seen these questions. I say, you know, have I loved well today? Mm-hmm. And was I about the things that matter? That's it, man. I've boiled things down to those two questions. You know, it's re- like, re- repeat them it, again for everyone. Yeah. So, so it's sort of my self-evaluation at the end of the day. And, I, and when I talk about self-evaluation, I mean, some of us are really good at evaluating ourselves all day long, 24-7. And, we're, right. and we live in this navel-gazing you know, realm. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a really simple sort of thing at the end of the day. Like, have I loved well today? And was I about the things that matter? And man, has that simplified my life. And it's so when I get up in the morning, even it's sort of like my goals now, my, my, my big um, ambition and all of that stuff has just sort of filtered away into these two things. Today, I want to, I want to try to love well. And that means loving my family well, loving my neighbors well. And, and you can define neighbor as far away as you want, want neighbors to be, you know, or as close as literally your next door neighbor. And then was I about the things that matter and wanting to be about things that really matter? And so, yeah, that's, that's been super helpful. Rob, I, simple, man. I am so grateful for this conversation today. You know, I love the fact that we need to ask more questions and sometimes the perseverance just is us us sitting with hard questions and, and sometimes just accepting the fact that it's hard, but that yeah. there's another chapter. Yeah. There's yeah. another chapter. Yeah. Rob, how could people help you in this effort? Oh man. Um, it's great. I love that question, obviously. Um, and it's, it's interesting because a, a lot of times people, when they approach me, they'll be like, well, besides giving money, what can I do? But right. the reality is, in all honesty, funding, especially now, because we're moving into uncharted t- territory mm-hmm. um, as as a charity. And, you know, um, right now in the time that we're living in, obviously, the challenges that everyone um, everyone's facing with just, you know, trying to survive and trying to make it, trying to put food on a table and a roof over our heads. And, and, you know, we have this extra added um, weight of like, man, we have kids that are depending on our services and how do we make sure that we don't um, cut back on that? Cause they, we, we need to be able to provide those services. So actually funds are at, absolutely crucial i mean if yeah. you can you can give i mean our website is love146.org it's right there you can figure out how and you know and, and it's not even the ma- obviously the massive donations and big funds are appreciated but you know a small amount multiplied by many goes a long long way so our monthly donors that give every month sometimes just 10 bucks a month 20 bucks a month that's the stuff that enables us to strategize to plan so there's opportunities to become a monthly donor at small amounts um, but yeah so funding funding is a is a big thing and then the other thing is just to educate yourself 
on on what what is this and what does it look like and what can I do about it in in our community and and there's a lot of resources on um, our website you know we have internet safety guides for parents and caregivers as well as for for kids on how to stay safe online because even now you there, there's a vulnerability that's been created by this pandemic and that kids mm-hmm. that are normally being seen by therapists or being seen by school teachers are now in, in you know invisible again in, in, in their homes or in places where they can potentially be exploited or and there's a lot more kids that are spending a lot more time online this mm-hmm. is where traffickers go to um, to recruit and to exploit and so lots of resources on our website educate yourself know what's happening in your community and we have um, resources to help you with that rob morris love146.org that's love146.org rob morris thank you for being on the show today thank you for having me max i really appreciate it man likewise brother let's talk again soon all right let's do it Rob, thank you, my friend.